welcome to another episode of Dead Air. Uh, today we have a very special episode. Do you want to? Yeah, today we are talking to a very special guest. Um, again, a second guest in in a matter of what seven episodes? Yeah, I, was, I thought you were gonna say like very weeks, professional, but no. we don't. No, release. no, we've released once a year, pretty much. <laughs> um, we. Uh, well, I'm not going to introduce the subject yet. I will just introduce Jess. Hello. From Plisty and Me. Uh, what is it that we're here to talk about today? Well, we're here to talk about my experiences living with dissociative identity disorder. So basically, um, we contacted Jess after we um, watched a documentary that she was a part of um, about dissociative identity disorder, which is, in a very brief terms, um, a condition where somebody has several identities but yeah to put it i'm not going to go into too much detail because i think it'd be much better if jess explains <laughs> what it is but um yeah we want to talk about that today but mainly because is a hell of a lot of stigma around it um we thought while we usually sort of talk about things that are kind of creepy or you know unusual or a bit scary this is kind of the opposite we want to kind of take something that a lot of people view that way and show you that actually that's not bullshit yeah it's bullshit <laughs> so Jess do you want to tell us a little bit about what DID is yeah so DID is a condition that can affect I suppose anyone really it's a childhood based disorder so it starts in childhood and as you develop um, that's when it becomes more apparent so with DID, what happens is we're, we're all born with like a, an unintegrated sense of self if we're going to be scientific. So if you imagine your personality is an orange and we're all kind of starting out, out of those little segments that come together and become an orange. Mm -hmm. um, what happens is in childhood, if you go through a trauma or any kind of abuse, then um, these segments kind of fail to integrate naturally. So instead, your kind of ego states remain separate. And that's how dissociative identity disorder actually begins. That's kind of the root of it. Um, moving a on. Pithless orange, an orange without pith. Yes, an orange <laughs> without pith. Yes. <laughs> um, or I guess the pith could kind of be like the dissociative barriers between the yeah. parts. An orange with too much pith. Too much pith. <laughs> um, so and yeah, so that's that's kind of how the condition comes together. So obviously, for anyone without DID, they're kind of a full orange, but. Or with anyone without DID, sorry, with anyone without DID, <laughs> they're a full orange, but anyone with DID are just segments. segmented, yeah. <clears throat> and that's how I kind of describe it. So, yeah, you need to go, you need to have experienced childhood trauma and disorganized attachments in childhood to have it. Um, and it can affect um, women most prevalently. So it's a nine to one ratio at the moment, or that's how they. Oh how they um, believe it is, but obviously we also know that men don't talk about their mental health yeah. as much as women, so that might be a huge factor in it. Um, and yeah, that's that's kind of the, the background explanation. Wow. Um, something I wonder... <laughs> I'm just on like a sit pondering. Um, some, something I was wondering. Um, do you... When you say about the, the segments, um, the makeup, the full orange, as somebody who doesn't have DID, but they stay segmented if you do. Are the, so, so the first of all, um, the other personalities are called alters, mm -hmm. just for the 
for reference. Um, so do you consider the other alters as they come together to make one sort of personality, one mind, or do you consider them separate entities? I always used to consider them separate entities. I think your, your brain kind of makes sure to tell you that, that no, that's not you. Yeah. Because obviously that's the dissociative nature of the condition. It's mm -hmm. like you are as far away from being that other person as possible. But actually in reality, um, I am them, they are me, we all make up one. Yeah. So that's why this orange like, kind of thing makes right. sense, I guess. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, they're very well rounded though my parts i think um generally in did that's not necessarily the case you know it might just be um a, a, like somebody has a certain type of mood or a very limited role to yeah. play or um but you can obviously alters can develop over time if they grow up with their own experiences and then they develop more and yeah more. sure your alters are very are very complex personalities don't they? yeah they do which is quite unusual in yeah. did that's not yeah. generally the norm but it makes for good things like youtube you know where people can kind of identify easily who yeah who. yeah absolutely yeah. well we uh, can go into that in a bit yeah yeah uh, in a bit more detail in a, a little while and um, there are a few sort of things uh, words that all come up I think as yeah, we're I thought it might so be a good idea start with a glossary. Yeah, um, a glossary is at the front. Glossary is usually at the back. Yeah, index we'll is at the back. Glossary is at the front. The, the no, way around. We'll start, well, it's not an index. We'll start with a, a front glossary. <laughs> <laughs> Breaking all the rules, kids. So we've got a, a, just a few words that um, we sort of from watching your YouTube channel got the gist of, but obviously this is going to be a, quite a condensed. Yeah, session. just a, just a little overview of what certain words mean, so that we don't need to keep yeah. explaining them throughout. So if you'll refer to bullet point five, uh, <laughs> part line two. Yeah, so I guess some of the explanations of some keywords that we might use are system. So a system is kind of how I identify myself and all of my alters. Alters are the those segmented senses self. That's what um, yeah, that's probably a good description for them. Um, <laughs> Fronting and co-fronting, so that's when an alter is either forward or they're kind of in the background but not present. So they're not fully out, but they're kind of they can hear what's going on, they can have their input. That's kind of the difference between fronting and co-fronting. Um, a singlet is kind of a, a fluffy term, I guess, that a lot of the DID community uses to describe somebody without DID. Um, a host is somebody who's currently living the life, I guess. So at the moment, um, we all live towards my life, so that kind of makes me the host. Um, then you've got littles. So littles are child parts in the systems. And then age sliding is about um, an alter that can go up and down in, in age at any different points that might be caused by stresses or sometimes for an unknown reason. But yeah, they're alters that have the ability to kind of shift between ages. Okay, that's great. So um, let's get into it then. <laughs> so um, we'll start with you because mm -hmm. that's probably the easiest place to start. Yeah. Um, so when did you sort of start realizing that you had DID and or something different at the at least? I know you say it starts in childhood, and obviously there's there's triggers and things which we won't go into, but when did it become apparent to you? Um, well, for me, 
it was a strange thing because I kind of believe that everyone kind of had people in their head. You just it's one of those things that you just don't really mention, but it was like, well, it's, it's so normal. Yeah. And it wasn't until I was about 13, 12 or 13, my best friend at the time basically said, what you do isn't normal. Then I realized that something was quite wrong wow. because at the time she was a person that my authors would come forward for and talk to yeah. because we were really, really close. Um, and I think she initially went along with it thinking you know, maybe we were playing pretend or but as mm. the years went on it just for her it became apparent that something was not right yeah but I kind of lived thinking that was completely normal yeah and I guess maybe when you you know everybody has different facets to their personality and things like that and like a different face you put on for other people so I can see how interacting with other people you might think oh yeah well they do that too so they you know it's, it's no different yeah you know? It, it, it's strange because obviously when at the time then you know when the altars came forward it, I, I didn't really remember much or anything of what went on and um, but you, you don't really miss that memory so for someone who's never really known what a consistent memory is you don't really yeah. know when you're missing it so I think that's also part of it and that's why it can go undiagnosed for so many years because mm -hmm people don't know that they're missing any time because yeah. it's just complete normality that's the that's the normal way of living that's that's so hard i think the thing that fascinates me the most i think about this and why i i was so eager to talk to you about it was because i think for people who don't have it this is so difficult to wrap your head around the idea that the structure of someone's mind is different to yours because yeah. like you all sort of know that everybody it's almost like you know everybody's brain is a different colour to yours, but you assume it's all the same shape, you know? Mm. Like, you know everybody's got different personalities, different viewpoints and likes and dislikes and memories, but you still kind of think that everybody thinks this in exactly the same way as you and has the same structure of their mind. So to think that somebody else doesn't and they have a different experience is just so difficult to, like, fundamentally yeah. understand. Mm. I, I suppose it's difficult for other people to pick it up as well where um, you've mentioned um, in your videos and things that SDID is a very protective disorder, it's a, it's a defence mechanism. Um, often your alters will be able to sort of personify you unless mm -hmm. they're comfortable if they are out or it will largely be you that's running. Um, so it's a lot of people wouldn't even see mm -hmm. that, yeah. that it is there are alters there and that you're a system and rather than a single yeah every word on the list <laughs> <laughs> which one i've made little and also <laughs> age sliding <laughs> yeah i mean you could be technically you could be talking to one of the boys right now yeah. and you shouldn't know or at least wouldn't yeah. know you know so unless you're like quite close to us it's kind of those tiny little signs yeah. that may not be so obvious to the general public that they might yeah. pick up on but yeah for the most part it's a very hidden disorder and um just i find it i guess it's just a strange thing that we find quite we find it quite comfortable to talk in front of a camera because i guess there's nobody else in front of, in the yeah, room yeah yeah there's nobody else in the room and i guess we used, we started it years and years ago just as a diary so that's kind of how we were initially communicating mm -hmm. was using it like a video diary mm -hmm. and then it was like well why not put these things on the internet yeah it's beneficial to others as well as yourself yeah yeah absolutely i did think you say about um people recognizing and, and maybe they hadn't hidden um people camouflaging as yourself and stuff and when i answered the door i was like red lipstick <laughs> i did the makeup this morning <laughs> i did the makeup this morning yeah um maybe it would 
would be a good idea to start by um, dis discussing how how DID comes about, um, so that we know we know that it comes in childhood. Um, is it always as a result of trauma, or can it just develop? Yeah, and DID is a result of childhood trauma and disorganized attachment. So those are the two things that you need. It's like a recipe for disaster. <laughs> trauma plus disorganized attachments equals DID, or it can do. Obviously, there's still some aspects that we don't know. Like, why does someone that has got, have has got those experiences not develop DID, and why do others develop it? So yeah, we, we just don't Pans, have those. What do you mean yet. by disorganized attachment? What? So disorganized attachment is kind of an attachment style in childhood. So what your parents have with you. So you can be attached, you can be detached, or disorganized attachment is kind okay. of the hot and cold. It's a bit of both. So you, yeah. a child would grow up uh, maybe walking on eggshells a lot, um, or in, unable to have soothing from their parents essentially when it's needed. So. Um, you know, despite that, there's a thing about hospital trauma as well that's quite recently developed, is that they're aware that children that spend a lot of time in hospital can actually also develop the condition, and that's because not only, obviously, is it quite scary in hospital and going going operations and such, but also, um, even if they have well-meaning parents, the parents aren't always on hand to soothe yeah. in a setting like a hospital. So uh, even from something like that, DID can develop. That's uh, that, that's never occurred to me. That makes perfect sense, doesn't it? That, that, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's quite um, it's a lot of different disorders have um, uh, rooted from. I didn't know it was called disorganized attachment, but schizophrenia is one of them, where um, that sort of lack of consistency with hmm. um your relationship with your with your parent, your parents or your guardians, that can develop. <laughs> <laughs> that could, that that's a that's a massive trigger for. Um, it's a huge thing, yeah. It's massive in so many different kinds of mental health disorders, like borderline personality and PTSD. It can all stem from disorganized yeah. attachment. So um, yeah, it's very important. And the brain is very plastic at that point. Yeah, as well. yeah. exactly, absolutely. Yeah. So it kind of relies on itself almost to to soothe itself, you know, by um, creating these. Yeah, it's creating, making sure there's detachments between, say, something that's scary and the normal life. So I often compare it to like Schrodinger's cat in psychology. So is the cat in the box? Is it alive or is it dead? Who knows? It's a cat in a box. It's kind of the same issue. So you've got a part called, um, in psychology, they're known as an apparently normal part. And they're the parts that don't have any trauma attached to them and live a normal life. And then you've got the emotional parts that hold on to the trauma. So what might happen is that you've got an ANP part, which might be, say, um, a, a boy at school, um, you know, who's going through all his exams and everything else. He doesn't know anything is wrong at home, and in fact, he really likes his parents. And then you've got the emotional part that actually remembers what goes on, all the bad stuff about the parents and what happens at home, and holds on to all the stresses. And that is kind of a defense. So the, the host or the ANP fronting is living a normal life at school and doesn't so clever yeah, works, yeah. Isn't it? Like it's how fascinating your brain manages to, to build these defense it, mechanisms. yeah it really is like a an example of how incredible the brain is like yeah and there's still so much we don't know I yeah think it's such a skeleton disorder at the moment because you've got the dsm that um the the diagnostic statistical manual of mental health disorders and at the moment it's kind of lists this very basic skeleton structure of what you need to have did but the condition itself is so varied and so vast. Um, that's the problem with the, D uh, the DSM in a lot of yeah. <laughs> a lot of situations. It's very basic. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> 
but sometimes I guess that that is all you need to count but it, everyone's experiences are so yeah. different from one another um, and I think that's why we kind of need to pay more attention to to this disorder yeah absolutely how much how much um like sort of official support is there out there official I mean like like mental health like and mental health workers yeah it's not good at the moment in the current state of things so when I was on my psychology course they actually removed DID entirely and dissociative disorders entirely um during my time there so I did my I think I was I think it was second year it was discussed and then when I moved up to my third year they actually removed it from the curriculum were they aware that you had it yes what I know. So That's instead, awful. instead they Maybe let me put on. Maybe that's why that. they didn't want to say it right. <laughs> <laughs> but instead, knows more about it than I do. So yeah, they should have offered you a teaching position. <laughs> not taking enough. Well, but, you know, instead they did offer me to do a presentation, and that was kind of so it was an elective presentation, oh. so people could attend if they wanted to and listen to kind of what I said then. I mean, I learned so much since I did that presentation, and so much has changed, and so was my understanding. So. But I'm just hoping at least those people that initially came along would just have an idea that DID isn't all that yeah. scary because I was the person standing there delivering it and saying, yeah. hey, you know, this this is not what it's yeah, about. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but you'd be surprised. I mean, I've, I've spent since I was about 15 years old trying to get help for the people in my head. And um, the doctors don't know about it. Nurses don't know about it. Psychiatrists don't even know about it because it is not discussed. It's not no. taught. Even if being in such a big book and such a clinical book it's kind of skimmed over and again I think people make assumptions so I've yeah. been told that it's only in Hollywood it doesn't exist um, that I'm making things up for attention um, yeah that must have been a, especially as a, a teenager um, yeah disheartening well it just something you must have heard a lot really yeah. it was ta- whenever I tried to reach out yeah that was terrible yeah. that was the state of things mm. and it's funny I guess things do change and times do move on and now I've gone back to the same um, unit I guess that I was dealing with at the NHS probably when I was about 16 years old and you know there's somebody new in there that has a totally different viewpoint and says I can't believe that you know all these yeah. big bosses that I kind of work for have said all this about this disorder is not true and we mm-hmm. need to help work you know and fix it and do something about it so there is a shift there is a shift coming in but um sadly I think it's too little too late for some people yeah and it's not so good in some areas as it is for others so it depends where you live in the UK but there's only a very few amount of specialist centres in the UK that deal mm-hmm. with it. And I think really, unless you are speaking to a specialist, people aren't really going to know much about the disorder. And not how to deal with it, even if they're aware of yeah. the yeah. disorder. There's not really... Yeah, awareness and treatment is very different. Yeah. yeah, and I guess that's the other side of it. So dealing with therapy, for example, and therapists that I've tried to scout out over the years, mm-hmm. is often resulted either in an instant no or... A couple of sessions in and somebody says hey I can't do this anymore and yeah that's it and it ends the session because I guess there, there is it is a complex disorder there is a lot to work with and part of it is working alongside the altars as well so you yeah. have to hear their yeah. points of view um, and to get the full picture because I said we aren't part of a full yeah, picture a full absolutely. puzzle exactly so and is it something that's not well understood it's kind of like the blind leading the blind yeah in yeah in treatment yeah because yeah I, I can I imagine you go into a lot of meeting a lot of professionals that you know a lot more than they do you know yeah <laughs> and it's, it's nice I mean, it's nice to be told that it's nice that some you know say look you know more than I do and um you know I need you to help kind of me understand but it, ultimately it kind of does end up failing the last couple of times that it's gotten around to a point where we say if you're comfortable enough for an altar to bring themselves forward um I think it's always met with that idea of I shouldn't be encouraging it 
Yeah. Which that's not that's not how yeah. it works. No, <laughs> so it's it's very it's very difficult. It's been very frustrating, but I've finally been very lucky in um, getting to work with a specialist via Skype. So oh, even though he's not in my area, um, he's someone that's yeah. going to be able to help me yeah. and understand my and experiences. And that's also some somewhere that you know that the altars are comfortable anyway because it's, yeah, if you're you know, in front of a camera, obviously it's exactly a, it's yeah. a bit more of a two way street but um yes with with regards to treatment what what sort of what needs to be treated what what treatment would you seek would it be sort of mediation to help you live like harmoniously harmoniously yeah basically that is stage one so step it goes i think it's i think there might be either three or four different stages i can't think off the top of my head either three or four but the first stage is safety and stabilization that is the key most important stage you need to bring everyone into communication cooperation and make sure everyone's in a safe place that's kind of the tick box yeah. once you're in that relationship and you've got a good therapeutic relationship with your therapist you then move on to trauma processing so that is um going through trauma using things like emdr to kind of keep you in the present moment while you connect the flashbacks and the images with the present time so it kind of processes them um you move on from that and what, what tends to happen is you do a little bit of trauma processing and then you step back into stage one because of course the moment some trauma comes yeah. out you might have new parts mm. or you might have um, destabilization within the system so you go back to stage one right. and then you try again back to stage one so it's very much yeah. a long process yeah. between the two then eventually you move on to um, living basically as multiple but trauma free because you've now processed your trauma uh, it's all gone away but you're still living very separately You'll probably have alters that come together naturally with natural integration through that trauma processing, but you'll be left with an amount. And then the final stage, which is actually the biggest stage that stops um, DID from, from being completely cured, as they say, um, is learning to live singularly. And obviously, if you're a multiple and you've lived multiple all your life, what, it's quite a scary yeah. thought. Do you want to live singularly is that if, if you've got that, no exactly if you've got no issue with yeah. trauma anymore there's no flashbacks anymore there's no ptsd symptoms anymore is there a need to yeah. kind of completely mush into one and learn to work together and that's kind of the big debate and i always say it's up to a person to decide what they want to do yeah you know we don't have an idea of where we're going in the future but we would like to try and trauma process we would like to start now and see where we end up you know it's kind of the first step now hopefully with this um specialist that we'll be able to go through and try it out for ourselves see how it affects us and see where the future holds really i mean yeah. we've got no idea whether or not we're going to stay multiple forever or whether or not we'll take that extra step and learn to live as one but you did never the, did the boys um do they worry about that do they do they consider that as sort of um those being got got rid of in a sense or do they do they will they become part as of one so they'll still exist but yeah just so as it's, one. somebody described it to me once a lady called carolyn spring actually who has had did and she's been through the trauma uh, healing process over 10 years in therapy and has come out the other side living as a singular person um she tells the story basically of it's, it's a bit like living in the house um, but when you're DID, you've got rooms halfway down the courtyards, so you have to kind of run between the rooms to access them. When your DID is kind of put together and you're living singularly, the house becomes comes together 
and you can start like flicking on the light switch in this room right, and that okay. room and doing whatever yeah. so you kind of access everyone's so it's not like you're, you're losing the octas it's just you're all kind of yeah it's kind of yeah more like well, inter- I'm doing all these hand gestures <laughs> and nobody can see because I can't it's essentially what um what it what it is though isn't it it's because yeah. it's your personality sort of not to use the term split but it's split into yeah. t- c- certain parts of your personality into separate yeah beings of which then will then in the idea is to unify those yeah yeah, yeah which, then, it, which yeah. i guess then how the average person's mind is to yeah a singlet mm-hmm. um it's <laughs> <laughs> <eight> sliding <laughs> um to, th- that's what I want to ask as well. I keep saying that, like obviously the whole thing is us asking you things. I didn't <laughs> know. <That's need> <laughs> um, is it is DID the same as multiple personality disorder? Yes. So it's the new name. So a personality disorder is very different from dissociative disorders, and that's kind of why they were recategorized in the DSM. So um, personality disorders affect the whole personality, if that makes sense. So it right. affects. Um, somebody's mood, behaviour, whatever it might be, um, but it's an overall affliction, I guess, on the personality. Yeah. Um, but with DID, that's that's not really the case. Yeah. It's kind of it's an unintegrated personality, and the main reason why behind that is the dissociative barriers and the dissociation that goes alongside and kind of made it the coping mechanism it is. So it's more made on the basis of, of what it's actually about, yeah. which is the dissociated identities rather than a multiple personality. Because mm-hmm. we only ever technically have one personality. Yes. Yeah. Um, even though it doesn't seem that way yeah. for, for cases like myself, that it still is. And that's been a difficult concept for us to swallow. Rather than, yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So it's a fragmented sense of self rather than a, a multiple sense of self. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense to me. <laughs> Do we need to introduce the boys as well? Yeah, yeah that's what. Yeah, I was going to say about that. Maybe if we had a little sort of uh, little overview of each of your alters, um, that'd be cool. So then we all know who we're talking about. Yeah. Um. So basically, I guess I'm going to introduce all of the boys and myself. So um, yeah, I'm just because I'm an alter too, and I think people forget that a lot as well. Is that hosts are alters just as much as alters are alters. So. Uh, yeah, I'm Jess. I'm 27. You know, I have a love for psychology. Um, I've got my little degree, and you know, just kind of plodding along with life. Uh, I love fluffy animals and rom-coms on the sofa. And <laughs> um, then you've got Jamie, who's like my number two, um, and he is very charismatic and confident, and he's my socialite. Um, he's the only one of us that wears glasses and needs a prescription for himself. And where the rest of us don't. Um, and then you've got Ed, who is a, a known as, a, I guess, a persecutory alter, or was mainly a persecutory alter, um, which means that he kind of has a habit of taking issues out on the body, but we are working with him to, um, or have been for a very long time, working with him to find alternative routes to get his emotions out. So uh, he's the only one of us that's left-handed. Um, he is also quite blunt, quite defensive, but he's a very honest bunny and he likes, he, he just likes to be upfront with everyone and that's kind of, he's kind of like Marmite, I think, he's one of those <laughs> love it or hate it kind of people. Um, you definitely and, love Ed, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> and he's also, obviously, I should say, well, Jamie's got like this very updo British accent and then uh, Jeb, uh, Ed's got this very Cockney accent. 
then you've got Jake who's got a very American accent and he is kind of like Disney incarnated and um, he's also a vegetarian he's Buddhist he loves animals he's like kind of like my little cheerleader he gets <laughs> me going and saying yay every day whenever he's around and I hear his voice he's very encouraging part um, and then finally you've got Ollie who is a young part so he's like 16 now but we've had him since he was about five years old so it's very strange to have seen him grown up all these years um i think he's kind of a bit of a mixture between ed and jamie in terms of his personality you know he's quite intelligent um but he's also like not afraid to say what he wants to say you know he's kind of like a child part that never had any issues so he's quite innocent he's got no trauma no panic no worries and so he loves like playing video games and going on his bike and cycling down to the boating lake you know wherever he wants to go and he's really carefree so yeah. And that's it. All of those together make me. <laughs> that's lovely. Um, I've got yeah. like so many questions yeah. about the audience. So, I don't know where um, to start. One thing that I wanted to ask, is it difficult for Jake as a vegetarian if the rest of you eat meat? Um, I guess he only eats what he wants to eat. So when he's out, he won't eat meat. But it doesn't bother him that everyone else doesn't yeah like so yeah. everyone else isn't vegetarian he's kind of oh, cool you know yeah he's not he's not a pushy vegetarian yeah. I guess. <laughs> yeah. that would make things a bit more difficult yeah it would definitely yeah. make things more difficult and one thing that um i find very interesting is i mean is he still a little at 16 but um well, i guess not what well, he was a little like, yeah, I, yeah, funny. Yeah. like i always think of him as a very young i think young call him a young part now i guess he's not a little but he's a medium now <laughs> yeah he's, he's just a teenager yeah. but um, it's strange to have that view of him still i've seen his his day in the life of and very very smart and i suppose he'd have to be to just get his head around this as a as a as a young boy growing up in this but it must be so difficult for Ollie to understand that from that young age as to why he can't why he's not friends with children his own age yeah that was I think that was it was a quite a difficult experience for Ollie growing up because he wanted to like play on the swings in the park whereas um I had some lovely uni friends actually and when we were at uni they used to take him to the park late at night so he could do what he oh, wanted so that was so nice and he got a, you know he got a little bit of um that out then but yeah i think for ollie though he's quite he's sort of very detached so i guess on a, st a scale of dissociation he's quite really at the far end because he as much as he knows that this world is the right world he has much more of a connection to his inner world right so that's his home as far as he sees it yeah. he doesn't have any need or want or interest much in this life you know mm -hmm. he gets on with Gaz my husband but other than that he's not that interested and yeah so there's a lot less out here for a, yeah. a young boy like that whereas he's, he's like very content life. Yeah. yeah and he's very content with his inner world and he says he has lovely family lovely friends does what he wants to do and so yeah that kind of I think that keeps him going yeah, yeah. and I, I, you said about um uh I was going to say you said about Jake is like Disney incarnate and um, you said in one of your videos previously that you think the reason that Jake has a California accent is because you still self-soothe with a lot of Disney films mm -hmm. which I think that's lovely I think that's <laughs> so nice um but can you sort of can you identify like things like that in all of the authors as oh they'll they've got this aspect of personality because of this it relates back to me in this way or 
do they seem random in any way or yeah I mean obviously there's still parts of the puzzle that we're still trying to put together yeah. but yeah I think that that's basically it alters are formed by experiences so they are formed by people we see people we know doing things you know so if there's a part that only ever experiences a negative side they're going to be generated more from that you know yeah. but yeah we've tried to sort of place accents and we think that's where Jake's came from was um the amount of Disney films watched on repeat <laughs> growing up um, that was very much a comforter and I think Jake is my comforter so that kind of makes sense um, we have a lot of I guess English family very well to do as well on some parts and um, you know I don't mind sharing this with you guys I don't often talk about um, family side of things but I think there's no harm in an accent so um, when we were very young it was very expected that we were good at the table we'd go out for a lot of posh meals yeah. And it was, you know, table manners were a must. There's no, you can't be a child in that kind of area or scenario. Yeah. So Jamie was very much the golden boy and he was like a golden child. So, um, you know, he had all his manners and he kind of picked up the accents, I guess, of the people that we were around. Yeah. So he kind of picked up this kind of voice. Um, well, that's again our theory. Ed, we're not quite sure about. We have had um, a couple of family members with the same accent, but... Um, but, and they were, I guess they kind of felt the same pressure to kind of hide yeah, the accent. Yeah, so I'm sense. not sure if it's kind of like a rebellion against yeah. that. Or um, at the time that Ed came around, we were actually visiting London quite a lot. So it's kind of a, you know, yeah. who knows where it came from. <laughs> but those are, our, those are our current theories at the moment. And not Ollie's kind of developed an in-between kind of accent between Ed and Jamie <laughs> because in a world he's raised by Ed and Jamie. So I think that would make sense. Yeah. So you talk about the inner world. Um, what is it? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, alters can, they don't always. So, some people with DID have inner worlds, other people don't. And it's kind of a place where the alters reside. It's kind of where they have their own little place to live or place to sit, wherever it may be. I've known some people with like a spaceship as an inner world, and then they just all live mm. on the spaceship. And some people with caves and islands and cities. But ours is a bit special because we have the entire world, so it's extremely, um, you know, detailed. Uh, so yeah, they've got their places where they live, and they can travel, and they can do whatever they want. So I guess my guys are quite lucky that they've yeah, got that luxury. Yeah, they've got a full backstory. Is that common in the ideal? No, again, it's not particularly common. You do have some that do, um, or some that have like vague experiences of yeah. their past. But I think again, my guys are quite detailed, so it's quite unusual. Yeah, they have like like proper memories, don't they? Of yeah. like when they were younger, like obviously family, before yeah. And obviously, um, Ollie was born, and and there's a story as to how he was born mm -hmm. and things like that. So that's that's quite incredible. Yeah, it's fascinating. I guess. Do you get yeah. any insight into the inner world of Jess? I I can I used to well it used to be a constant thing. I think that's part of what it was. I think because I used the inner world as such an escapism when I'm younger, my, my brain just used it a lot mm -hmm. um, to kind of self-soothe, comfort, escape boredom, whatever it was. It was kind of like I would just sit and space out and just get all of what was going on. So I think that's why our inner world is so detailed because it was used so heavily yeah. when growing up. I know it initially started as a rainforest when I, could only, when I only knew of Jake and Jake lived in this little rainforest and then suddenly it was kind of like the inner world was kind of rewritten yeah and okay. it's like a different timeline yeah. and now suddenly Jake had a brother and then there was do you know what I mean and it's, yeah. it was so different so it, it kind of expanded as I was growing up um so I use that I think I, a lot as a crutch and I think that's why it's kind of fading out a bit now we're getting less and less information because 
um, we're in a safer place mm -hmm. and life is moving on and it's been several years since we've been in a safer place and so I think it's it dwindling out you know yeah. my use for it is going um, and the ability to see it is sadly going as well which is oh, I do so miss it because it, it is a comforter yeah. you know it is like a little safety blanket and it's probably technically an unhealthy coping mechanism but at the same time I don't see the harm absolutely no no and I mean it obviously makes you happy it, it comforts you and it's a yeah. It's a, and it's a way to connect with your alters more as well exactly so. and it was a way for me to learn more about them I think that's kind of what aided me in recovery was knowing all this about them and being able to watch kind of their experiences and what they're doing and what yeah. they're going through that really did help and I think because uh, a lot of people ask as well well, well isn't inner world kind of the same as somebody writing creating characters with backstories and I'd say well uh, it's different because alters inner worlds like they're not or at least for us they're not controllable in any way shape or form so we always kind of put it down to being um, like dreamlike, you know, right, when you have a yeah. dream and you have like kind of a metaphor for what's going on. So I don't know, you might dream about uh, deep water and then you'll wake up and be like, my God, what was that all about? And then you kind of know, you're like, yeah. oh, that was about whatever happened. Yeah, probably yeah. Someone, I'm so just so much stress or, you know, you, you kind of know. And the inner world kind of, for us at least, reflects what's going on out here. Right. So if something's it kind of has a ripple effect so if something happens out here even something small that doesn't bother us or something huge that has a big effect it tends to ripple and it might be kind of show itself up in a metaphorical way on the inner world yeah so can you like can you control yourself in the inner world like can you experience it and sort of um, decide where you're gonna go in there and it's kind of like I never I'm never actually allowed to go in the inner world if that makes sense so right, my, okay. I, I'm not I don't live on the kind of the same plane I guess like as watching the boys do yeah. it is like watching TV and be able to flick through channels right, it's like okay. who am I gonna connect with and sometimes I don't always have access sometimes I just get or I used to be able to kind of flick through and see what people are doing now I just kind of get like that's happened I'm yeah. like okay that's happened alright <laughs> and um, much less control than I used to when I was younger You've talked a bit about sort of the issues with memory with the ID. Can we just touch on that a mm -hmm. bit and how that sort of affects affects you and how you sort of how you cope with memory? So do you remember what is happening where at all when when the alters are fronting? Or um, so I describe it a little bit like driving a car. So when you're co-conscious or if you are co-conscious with an alter, so that's if an alter is around, you'll be sitting in different positions. So the car is your body. Um, and that's that's what it is so you can either be sitting in the front seat where you're driving so you're driving the car and you're driving your body you sit in the passengers you can sit in the your front seat but not the driver's seat um, and you can obviously talk with the driver you can kind of maybe take over the wheel a little bit you know that's kind of co-consciousness and with you remembering quite a lot about what's going on with your surroundings and then you can be in the back seat which I guess you would have kind of less of an idea about what's going on, which direction you're heading in, what you're kind of doing. Or you can be in the boot, which I describe as a complete blackout. So you won't know anything that's happened. And I think those are the scariest. So yeah. as long as there's kind of a little framework of what you've experienced, and that tends to be the norm. So um, like today, I know that uh, we got up. I have no idea what we ate for breakfast. Uh, don't really remember any interactions with family, with Gaz, don't remember anything. Um, I know that we drove to the train station and I know there was a bus there and I know we got on the bus and other than that all the details mm -hmm. are gone so I've got a little yeah. timeline of what's happened yeah. 
but I don't have little yeah notes. it's kind of like Swiss cheese yeah so it's kind of like you have these holes okay. but you've still got the cheese yeah, kind of. yeah. <laughs> and how do you communicate those those gaps then how do you fill those in uh, you don't really I think yeah. it's one of those like you said because you're so used to it you don't really yeah. Yeah, try don't... and find it it's just so normal okay. it must be a lot of do you have a lot of trust for the authors because obviously they are when, when they're present and you're not they they are, have got control of your life yeah so I know it's all of your life but your body's life at least so do, do you have a lot of trust for them to do that that was my issue I think when I was growing up because Ed in particular I didn't trust as far as I could throw him because as far as mm-hmm. I could see he was hurting me he was causing my life to fall apart in different places and different pieces he was just being a bitch and I hated it I was like well, I don't understand why you're behaving in this way because it's jeopardizing yeah what we're trying to do do you know what I mean and it used to be such a frustrating thing um and I didn't have any trust over him whatsoever and I think and that of course makes the dissociative barriers worse because the altar is kind of pulling away from you yeah. and you're kind of too frightened so you're kind of pulling in the other direction and kind of in a metaphorical way that does make the dissociative barriers worse yeah so you need to be able to communicate you need to be able to cooperate to bring them down um so yeah it wasn't until um I was diagnosed actually and my specialist said to me you know you've got to stop treating Ed like a bad alter he's not a bad alter he's just misunderstood that's just the way he views the world you need yeah. to you need to understand how he views the world and why in order to get better so the trust kind of started there and um you know now we're we all respect each other and each other's different differences and views on the world and boundaries um and that's kind of helped us grow over the years yeah um oh, i had a question and i'd lost it there's holes in my mind um it's swiss cheese yeah i'm sure my brain is swiss cheese i did want to say that something that really um sort of sort of made me laugh and sort of think god that must be crazy is i saw in your instagram story the other day i think it was jamie was um was present and he was eating and he said he, he kept he was eating olives with a um, toothpick or like a stick thing and he kept going to eat one and there was already a stick in there because ed was also yeah. eating them. Yeah. <laughs> that, that is so strange it, so, but it does happen and it's one of those moments you're like because I don't know, I mean, I guess technically it does kind of happen to everyone. Like, you kind of just do that thing, you know, like, oh, I've already done it. You know, I, I get that. Yeah. But I think in a DID situation, yeah, it's very much like, well, who else has done that? <laughs> like, <laughs> you kind of get to know it. So, yeah, Ed and Jamie were watching, I guess technically watching together something on telly, and um, Jamie was trying to eat, and Ed really loves olives. So, <laughs> you know, two plus two equals four. <laughs> How is it, because... um. So just to give a little bit of a backstory, because obviously I'm the expert, not you. <laughs> um, so uh, Ed and Jamie are married, right? Oh, or they're yes. together. Yeah, they're married. They've been married fourteen years. Oh my god, it's all time. And they are. Uh, so sorry. Just So they are they older than you then? Yeah. yeah so uh, Jamie's twenty nine and Ed's thirty one. Okay. And do they age with you? Or? Yes. Yeah. Do, Sorry, not all alters age the same age, do they? No, not alters age the okay. same way, the same rate, and some don't age at all. For my system, generally, they do age year by year, um, although we know that Jake spent three years being 14, but again, oh. in the timeline, it doesn't... That's not there. Yeah. So it's kind of... It's, it's, it's funny how the brain kind of fills in the gap. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so what I was going to say, they, they are together, and then Ollie is... Uh, 
Jamie's son, right? Mm -hmm. And and Ed's raised him. Mm-hmm. How does how does like a relationship work between two olders in the same system? Like, do they just spend time together in in the inner world, or can they sort of confront and spend time together in the outer world? Yeah, or? I mean, they, they they can very much spend. Obviously, their time is spent in the inner world, but yeah, they also can do things like confront and spend time together, which it doesn't happen often. Mm-hmm. So it's not, um, I mean, that would have been like a rare moment. I don't remember the last time that that would have happened, but it's kind of, you have to kind of do low stimulus activities yeah. as well. You, you can watch something, yeah. but yeah. you couldn't, I don't know what else you could do. You could really <laughs> sit on a date by yourself and you know, <laughs> order a separate meal. But yeah, so I think that's the closest they get to spending time together is when they're co-fronting out here. Um, so um, we talked about them being in a relationship. So obviously, uh, Jamie and Ed are gay or on the LGBT spectrum. Yeah, Jamie's bisexual and Ed's gay. How does that make you as Jess uh, feel about, sort of, do you feel like you can be part of the LGBT community? Well, do you know what, funny enough, I, I asked this question because I don't know myself. Um, I was saying, I actually asked Carolyn Spring, who I talked about earlier, I asked her about that, and I said, well, if my parts did all integrate, we did all become one, how would that affect things like my sexuality? Yeah. Because I have a wide range of spectrum here. You know, Jake is straight, so he is a, a male in a female body who likes women. So how would that also, because I don't have any at all attraction yeah. to women. So how, how would that affect me? And basically she said that it can be a metaphorical thing. So Jake is a trauma holder in part, and part, again, it's all about kind of disconnection, moving away. So if you think about it, the furthest away Jake could possibly have been from any, um, say, uh, sexual abuse as a child is to identify with being attracted to women. Right, yeah. So that moves him away from the abuser, if yeah. that makes yeah. sense. So it's kind of, it can be a metaphorical thing as well. So it, it's funny, like, I, I still don't know how I feel about it. Like, I, I, I'm guessing and kind of understanding myself more as asexual now, but I never really wanted to... I don't know, define that label, but um, yeah, it's funny. I don't really know how that puts us yeah, on the scale yeah. of things, and I guess I'm, we are kind of in a, a heteronormative relationship. So yeah. Even though Gaz, my husband as well, he's bisexual, but so we're kind of we're kind of passing, I guess, at the end of the day, as a as a normal yeah. Yeah. relationship. So I, even though I think we're, we're very good supporters and allies, I don't know <laughs> if we technically are part of the umbrella as such. And is there an element of Transsexual. Yeah, that's right. Well, transgender. Mm-hmm. To be um, Jake gets um, gender dysphoria really bad, and he has done over the years to varying degrees. So there have been times where we sort of bound, and he's had his own wardrobe, and he's even bought wigs just to tuck the hair away, do something different. So he's been through that. So he, he suffers with the gender dysphoria side, but. Um, the only, I guess, way we would be described as transgender would be if I was to disappear as host or if I'd say I didn't want it anymore because yeah. Jake is next in line. We've kind oh, of had okay. that discussion. Okay. And if that happened, we already ha- again, I've already had the discussion that Jake would transition and go down that route because okay, he, right. he would need okay. that for his yeah. for him to feel like himself. Otherwise, you know, he'd be stuck in a body that didn't he doesn't identify with at all. Yeah. So, how does guys feel about that? I mean, he'd have to accept it. He's yeah, one of those he's got to say over really. But yeah, like, and I, I, um, you know, I guess it's a sad discussion that we have had. But he, I don't think we'd be together if that was the case. Because yeah. again, Jake's straight. He's got no interest yeah. in being with Gaz as a partner. Does he so. worry about, um, about sort of 
you integrate in and him losing those specific um, defined alters? He does. Or is he... Yeah, he is, Gaz is very much pro-multiple in terms of there's no need for you to fuse and become one and integrate fully because you function well now. Yeah. There's no, you know, I get on with all the boys and I think he very much missed that. It'd be like losing a friend to him, even yeah. though it wouldn't feel yeah, like it to it's us. Like, it's like having four extra members of your family. Yeah. yeah. And even if you do become, when, if that were to happen, you would all still be there. It's a, it's different to having those discernible personalities, mm-hmm. isn't it? So yeah. That must be really difficult to wrap your head around, especially from an outside perspective, because he's, he sees exactly. you in I mean, different ways. I don't ever you. see it happening, because Jake is very much about uh, you know, this is my life and he wants to, I mean, the whole reason he's given me this is because he believes that, well, he, he believes that my life is the way it should be. He feels that unnatural, I guess, protection to keep my life as the way it is. So he yeah. wants that. But if for whatever reason I just ducked out one day and said, I don't want to do this, um, then Jake would take over. And that's kind of yeah. already a discussion that we've had. Could you make that decision? Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Can you make that decision? Can you just decide to integrate and and no longer be not necessarily integrate, but say if I'd said I don't want I don't want to host anymore, I don't want to have this life anymore. Okay. So it's kind of handling someone else to like sort of stop existing as an alter, but you can choose to not Yeah, not be present anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, how do you communicate with each other? So um it's it's a funny term, I never knew what it was called, so um, I've always called it like an unconscious space because it's kind of like a black room, you don't see anything, mm. just um, you can see yourself and that's that's it. But um, apparently it's called it's called a headspace in the DID community. So you have this world, you have a headspace and you have an inner world for some as well. So but sometimes it's just this world and a headspace and right, sometimes okay. the headspace can be like an inner world. Yeah. So it can yeah. be a little bit detailed. but my alters aren't like that so the inner world cells don't know the outer world so outer world cells exist oh yeah okay. so they, the, the inner world keeps on ticking and keeps on going without ah. without kind of that interference if that oh, makes that's sense really interesting because i always assumed it was just kind of like it almost like there's a, a curtain where you're either on stage or then you go back behind the curtain and mill about behind the interior. I guess that's, the, that's a good again. description more of a headspace. That's actually a really good description of the headspace, I think. It's more like that. So that's kind of like that co consciousness we talked about. Yeah. So that's how you communicate, really, is by using, yeah, by being co conscious in this headspace. So anyone could be around at the moment and could be having a conversation with me or saying yeah. things. Yeah. And then I could look like that. The inner world on, in that metaphor would be the show itself not being on stage yeah. but yeah. in the show because the characters don't wouldn't know that they're being played by actors this is very, yes. this is yes. very intricate <laughs> though, I <metaphor>. love that <laughs> that is such a good analogy yes very much so I was going to go the sims myself which I thought was a bit easier uh, yeah <laughs> I always use sims we always use sims don't <laughs> yeah. just say like especially for like the non-playable characters a lot of people ask us about those like Ed and Jamie have two more kids in a world do they? They do, oh. but it's not. They're not um, alters. They don't come out in front. Yeah. So people are like, well, how? And it's like, well, they're kind of they're kind of background characters, like the Grim Reaper and the Sims or the Postman. <laughs> you just kind of you don't play as them. But they're, they're fillers, you know. <laughs> it's quite therapeutic to. Um, as I said, I watched all these day in the life to make the inner world in, in the Sims. Is that quite helpful? Or I think it has been. Um, I think it has been in terms of, especially for Ollie, I think when he was younger especially he missed that a lot. 
um, when he was growing up because he would come out here instead of me, he wouldn't have his parents. He's just on his own. Yeah. There's a strange man called Gaz that helps him out <laughs> sometimes. He's probably equally as a child as he is. <laughs> so it was a bit... I think that was his way of coping. It's probably why he doesn't really play it anymore. He doesn't really need it now. But yeah. um, that was, I think, more his escapism yeah. than anything else. Like, okay, this is still my family and this is my house. And Aww. it was quite sweet. <laughs> <laughs> um, can an after just... A new after just appear at any time? Or does it have to be triggered by a trauma? It's kind of in debate, so I guess I, there's no, I mean, by science standards, yes, it should be caused by stress or trauma. Okay. But sometimes I, I think that people have found that there's just a new alter and we don't know why they're just there. Just sometimes it just yeah. happens. It's kind of like once your brain knows how to make alters, it can just <laughs> shoot <laughs> them out. Right, let's go then. It can shoot yeah. them out like a factory. And we're quite lucky that um, we don't. We've been through, you know, even under the most stressful times, um, there just seems to be the five of us yeah. plus a couple yeah, of fragments running around. A lot of people have got like like, like 50 odd, haven't they? Like I, I, from other videos yeah. of the, in the community that I've seen, some people have tons and I can't tons imagine. I know, it's, it's dreadful. Like some, um, I'm meeting a friend today that's got over 300. <gasps> And I can't, oh. I can't, keep, I'm like, hello, yes, hello, <laughs> <laughs> don't know, what's your name today, who is it, you know, I cannot keep up, and there's, there's no way, and I, I can't think past the five that we have, so we got a couple of little extra bits, Yeah. and it worries me to death with the thought of a new part or a new piece, mm. absolutely terrifies me, because I guess we work so well as our little unit, yeah. anything coming yeah. into that could put a spanner in the works, yeah. and we could just completely destabilise. How rare is it, because I mean, I've... I imagine a lot of people just aren't aware of it being yeah, around. Basically, yeah, people aren't aware, so it's just, just as common as schizophrenia. So is it's it about really? one percent of the population. Yeah. No way, that's that's mad. That's it's a lot. I can't, I can't believe that. That's, because obviously schizophrenia is so well known. Like yeah. But this is part uh, the of thing why is schizophrenia is less of a hidden disorder, isn't it? Schizophrenia yeah. is very very loud. It's very yeah, vocal. but I mean I think yeah, a lot yeah. of people who don't who don't know someone with schizophrenia still know of oh, it. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. You know? they know someone who's knows someone yeah. yeah and that's the thing i think the, that's the major issue i guess is that people may go their entire lives without even thinking twice yeah. about what they're living with because yeah. like I said, if you're missing all these memories and you never ever realize that somebody else is sort of doing your work for you you're never going to reach out you're never going to know is so. there a, a tendency for sort of reclusivity in in the did community due to the sort of i think there's shame and there's a lot of stigma you know, yeah. I think, uh, you know, Hollywood doesn't do us any favors. It paints us as something to be feared and something absolutely terrifying. You know, and I get that dis disorder can be quite terrifying, especially when you start out and you kind of start to unravel because that's, that's kind of, I guess, yeah. when it all starts to really um, hit you and go a bit chaotic. But um, it's not scary to other people, if that makes no. sense. I think that's the issue. I think, you know, alters don't hurt other people. They tend to only hurt if there is yeah. that. They tend to hurt the host because it's internalizing um you know say trauma and abuse that's happened out here it might kind of internalize and go yeah, it's, it's the same as with any group any any group anyway yeah if you can have good and bad people regardless yes, yeah. of your mental health so yes if you are going to be the axe murderer that hollywood wants you to be that was that's 
completely regardless of, yeah, yes. of your exactly. Of your yeah. And there's no difference between, say, the rate of people with multiple personalities in comparison to the general population that will commit crime. There's like, you know, in fact, people are with mental health disorders are, are more likely to be victims and perpetrators. Yeah. And that is the bottom line of any sort of mental health disorder. So, um, yeah, that's why I do this campaign, and that's why I do my channel, Multiplicity and Me, to kind of get the word out there that we are not the stigma that the media portrays. And that's kind of how I started because um, when I got my diagnosis, I kind of looked for anything <laughs> online and all I could find was kind of these old videos of people in straight jackets and yeah. it looked horrendous. And I thought, oh my God, is that my life? Do I just give up now? Do I just stop uni? Should I just say, tell my boyfriend at the time that, you know, there's no point in us being together anymore because I'm just gonna end up completely unfunctional you know and actually when I told told my specialist and he got back to me and said that you know he knows doctors nurses teachers lawyers with this disorder and they are high functioning members of society and it's only the media that kind of portrays that any differently so then I made it my mission to kind of put my story out there and say hey well I'm just a random girl who's got this disorder and yeah. I'm gonna say that I have a partner I have a uni life I you know I got friends so it's not that bad it's yeah. not as bad as what you might think it's, that's the it's, um, it's typical though isn't it of Hollywood because um, they do it with anything that's not understood because you can make anything that's not understood scary it's easy to yeah. do yeah um, well, it's a, it's a neat story as well, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. Oh, you convenient. Don't, yeah, you can and this be a other personality is like an evil twin. It's know? a nice little twist. And yeah. It's a yeah. Trope but and that's that's why we, in particularly, in particular, great <laughs> English, why we particularly wanted to get you on is because you were a normal person and you have, you know, a, a functioning life and you, you know, and that's that's the reality of it. You know, it's yeah, it's generally it's very functional disorder. Yeah. It's shown, yeah. And it's, it's about, you know, this disorder helps people function, it helps people to live at the end of the day, it protects them from remembering the trauma and abuse that they might have gone through. Yeah. Um, you know, so it kind of acts as a barricade for that so the person can function to a relative degree. Yeah. And I think people also think that I must, I hate every single horror film that ever dictates <laughs> it, but I don't actually. You know, I, I, my biggest issue is the ones that give it a name. Yeah. So, you know, because you, you've, you've got this ear of, oh, I wonder what that person's suffering with. You know, it's poor mental health you know it's scary kind of they yeah. must be really ill at the moment and that's kind of frightening but you know so some films are great you know no spoilers for things like Shutter <laughs> Island but I love that film oh, um, okay, I forgot about that yeah and then but there's no kind of they don't label it they don't put a label yeah. on it it's kind and of then you've got split Hmm. And then you've got split exactly that very clearly states several times this is dissociative identity disorder this is what it's like that is bad so yeah. that's my that's my pet hey it's not so much Hollywood films that kind of dictate a, a scary mentality because that could that is terrifying and it yeah. could happen to anyone that is relatable but it's when you stick a label on it and demonize a disorder yeah that's when it's a problem it's irresponsible yeah yeah um yeah this is just irresponsible like criminal minds and shows and CSI shows and stuff like that they are famous for doing stuff like this um and schizophrenics get in the neck from them as well um it's it's just is it just yeah, it's, it's so harmful for everybody. It's harmful for the people with the disorder. It's it, it teaches people without it the wrong things. Yeah, yeah. It's, I it's never like a day like extreme racism, isn't it? Yeah. You know, with um, black people would be demonised in the media. Yeah. Um, and but because the understanding's not there, there's no. 
sort of way I'm doing gestures, no one can <laughs> see them. Um, <laughs> there's no way of managing that, and it's a it's shitty. Yeah. Um, but one really quick thing I wanted to say, actually, in relation to that, is do you um, do you consider it to be a disorder or an illness or a I, I don't know because the the way I was thinking about it is it's almost kind of like autism where it's just a different way of, of functioning. Yeah, I mean, I think there's two kind yeah. of viewpoints on that. I think. The psychologist in me is kind of like, well, yeah, it's a disorder because it's a different way of living. That it's a is disordered way of thinking. Disordered yeah. way of it's Definition. a maladapt. It's technically yeah. a maladaptive um, way of coping, but it's a defense mechanism. So it's a coping mechanism. Yeah. It's kind of your being has malfunctioned in some way, and now you're ending up here. But yeah, I think about if, if I think about a different way of living, I think that's what it eventually becomes. Yeah. It's just a different way of living, and obviously the DSM like says only goes so far, and it says you know it has to interfere with your social, occupational, and whatever other part of your aspect of your life, it has to interfere and cause a lot of disruptions in mm-hmm. these areas. But, um, you know, for me, it's every now and again, sometimes in some areas. Yeah, so I, where does that's that put me in terms I really of the don't like about the DSM. I have um, friends with autistic, well, a child who is who has every trait of autism, other than he's quite social, so he's not autistic, which means he can't get funding and he can't get the support he needs. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think I have an autism diagnosis. I don't think I'd be diagnosed now because I'm functioning a lot better than I did when I was seventeen and I was diagnosed. So it's But you learn to overcome and exactly, adapt, don't you? Yeah, doesn't mean it's gone. It's still there. Yeah, but you've learned to adapt yeah. to whatever you need to adapt exactly. to. Exactly. Exactly. So it's yeah. one of those ethical debates, but yeah. um, it's well, it comes down to that you ideally what you would need is for a doctor to get to know every per, every individual mm-hmm. case on a deep basis and they can't do that so it's kind of like the law where it's like you can't take everything by a very in-depth no, case-by-case basis. No, I understand why these, why I'm not, the I'm not defending exists, it, but, no, but that's like it, it needs to exist unfortunately for what it is, yeah. And that's why it's so vague as well because they can't be more specific yeah. because especially in situations like this where it's so poorly understood yeah. how can you be more specific about something you don't yeah understand? and it's so very there's still so much to learn but yeah. we're hoping you know by generating this interest and by talking about it more it'll generate the interest then of you know mental health professionals and professionals in general that may be able to get more funding more research for projects like this and then you know hopefully a better future for yeah. mental health in general let alone just DID. So do you do a lot of public speaking or? Um, yeah, I mean, sometimes I, I go to universities, do a couple of talks. I haven't done it in quite a while just because, um, I guess, of the commitments baby. Um, and I guess it has it been... Um, take a bit of time to make Yeah, <laughs> and I guess before when I was kind of at uni, it was, it was easy to kind of put my foot into yeah. other different unis and say this is kind of what I'm all about, would you like me to come and do a talk? But there's less of that now, yeah, less of that yeah. connection. But I'd love to, I'd love to do more of that. I'd love to give, you know, talks to doctors, talks to... Um, psychologists talks to whoever wants to listen from say an expert by experience because yeah. I guess that's what I can bring to the Absolutely, table yeah. and I'm happy to kind of be a case study so if there's anyone listening <laughs> <laughs> that uh, would like that then you feel free to get in touch um cut, feel free to say no if, if you don't want to but can we talk about your upcoming do, is it documentary you making or is oh, it more yeah. of like I a guess film it's kind of a it's just I don't know it's a project I just call it a project yeah, project. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Um, do you want me to start or do you want to start it? No, 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 you go for it. I don't really know a lot oh, about yeah. it. So okay, you good. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I want to kind of, I mean, part of my channel is to give people a view of that experience of having DID as much as possible. I talk to them about my experience and my experiences only. You know, I can't tell you what goes on in someone else's head for DID, but I can say, hey, I know that this has happened to someone and this has happened to someone. But all around, you know, my channel is based on what I've had and what I've been through. At the moment, we are working on a, well, just finishing now a script um, of headspace conversations. So these conversations that happen when we're co-conscious. So we've kind of amalgamated chunks of different parts that we think might be interesting for an audience to kind of hear. And we've just kind of about glued them all together now. There's just little, kind of little tiny um, bits missing, little bit of ad, a couple of ad libs missing that we need to fill in. Um, but we've basically gotten a project together where uh, actors used in our previous documentary playing the boys are going to come together again to do exactly the same thing. So the idea is we're going to have a 360 camera in the middle of the room so if people want to use their VR headsets if they have any or if they just want to scroll around on the YouTube video they can they can look at any altar at any point while we're having this whole conversation real conversations yeah. that have taken place um, so people can get a grip about how we talk how like what the dynamics are and the relationships are and how we kind of go about our business a real insight into like putting you in your head that's incredible that's the thing that I would, I'm most interested in it's just the logistics of yeah. how it works so that's really interesting yeah, yeah I think that's a brilliant idea especially with the, the VR so you're really immersed in it absolutely yeah. you know I thought well how, how better to bring that experience to someone than to actually make it yeah. VR make it 3D so we're all going to stand in a circle and the actors are going to recite the exact lines that we've had from um, Headspace Conversations so it will just hopefully roll nicely we've got a script <laughs> like I said it's coming together um, it's still a bit chunky in places because these have been made on different days at different times um, and while the Headspace kind of shows all five of us together there has never been a point where all five of us have been together really? so we've had to kind of oh, yeah, I guess have some at the front now. Yeah. <laughs> so we've had to have like several conversations kind of thrown back and forth between yeah. each other to yeah. fill in the gaps but it's now nicely sort of well oiled and it's good to go it's pretty like much. It's helpful for you to do that as well to sort of take sort of especially because I imagine you front more uh, yeah. so I imagine you do from more of the, um, as the nature of being the host. Is it helpful to then be able to do that and lock back in and see it all sort of written down and go, this is kind of how, I suppose after so many years though, you kind of already... No, do you know what, I find it's it. quite therapeutic. I actually started writing about our inner world when I was about 11 years old. Mm -hmm. So I carried on from the things that I would get in my head from about 11 and I found that very therapeutic and I didn't know what I was writing about but I yeah. knew that this was kind of going on um, so I guess Headspace is slightly different because I've never written about the conversations we've had before but um, yeah I think it, it has been a very interesting experience to put the pen to paper theoretically um, you know and you'll even see that like Ed's reactions in it you know he sort of started in some conversations being quite like you know relaxed and then suddenly when he was reminded that actually all these conversations are being written and rec recorded and written down <laughs> he comes up and turns a bit grumpy because he doesn't <laughs> want people to hear what he's saying yeah, yeah. so you'll see those kind of interesting dynamics taking place as well um, and we're hoping um, to be able to film either beginning like sort of beginning of September kind of time so it should be out very shortly. Wow. Need any help or extras? <laughs> <laughs> and what's it like for the boys seeing the actors? 
is that is it nice for them because obviously they can't they haven't got like photos of themselves or anything in the outer world so we we, the boys have to kind of base how they look on we call them face claims so it's kind of people we found on google and then they're kind of photoshopped to look very similar to not exact but as similar as possible we didn't actually mention that that all, all of the authors have got very like clear images yes, within the, in the world. They they can describe how they look. Yes, absolutely, they do. And yeah. so um, we're probably going to have to wrap up. Yeah, now. unfortunately, um, <laughs> we're already over time. Um, do you uh, want to give one last plug to all of your? You know, to the three people listening to this. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, three people, for listening to this. You know, no, the girls here are great. They've been fabulous. Um, I'm really appreciative of you, you guys having me here today. Um, it's great just to anyone to talk at anyone who's willing to listen. <laughs> um, and I guess my last plug would be um, please don't forget to check out our channel, Multiplicity and Me. If you need any help or support, there are amazing websites out there, such as Pods, which is the Positive Outcomes for Dissociative Survivors Charity. Um, there's also did-research.org if you're interested in learning more about the disorder um, and there are plenty of articles on Google Scholar for those who may want a little bit more in-depth reading on dissociative identity disorder um, but my recommendations would certainly be from Dr. Arno van der Hart who actually founded the theory of structural dissociation wow. and how alters come together. Oh, wow. I actually, I think I'll have a look at those. Yeah, I, do you know sure. what, as you were saying that, I was like, that's Bethan's reading them. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had Bethan in mind, I was like, yeah. <laughs> I still have my open arms account, so. <laughs> All right. Well, that's amazing, thank you so much for coming on. It's been absolutely fascinating. We, I wish we had more time, I wish we had more time. I know. Honestly, I really do want to do a part two. Please, please. let's, let's please. do a part yes. two. I'm going to book myself in with you, whether you'll have Fabulous. me or not. And next yeah. time you'll be <laughs> you did it you first tipsy talk sorry sorry Hazel you stole your thing um, great I think that's, that's everything yes, that's thank um, you thanks for listening um, we'll be back next week with our usual broadcasting <laughs> ta-da bye <laughs>
all of that in the description for this episode as well as on our instagram dead square podcast um okay catch you next time